Welcome to another special edition of Housing Matters from Olympia. Hopefully everyone has had a chance to watch or listen to our weekly RHA Week on the Hill updates every Friday. They're a good way to stay up to date on everything going on in Olympia during this legislative session. My interview for this week's episode is State Senator Phil Fortunato, who represents Washington's 31st District. We had a huge week of hearings from rent control to pet deposits to a bill aimed at clearing up the backlogs of eviction filings. We had a plethora of citizens come to testify on various bills, including one Jason Roth. Stay tuned after my interview with Senator Fortunato to see RHA Week in Review from Olympia. Well, State Senator Fortunato, thank you so much for joining Housing Matters, the Rental Housing Association of Washington's podcast. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I wanted to uh, just kind of start by asking you a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and um, what you did for, for your career, and kind of how you got into uh, the legislature. Well, I grew up in uh, New Jersey. I uh, had a small contracting business in New Jersey, and eventually we moved out here when we had our first child. Because we didn't want to raise our kid in the, in the garden apartment state. Uh, we wanted to, you know, out here, we liked the the mountains, et cetera. Mm-hmm. I'll be that. honest with you, now, uh, you got to get the hell out of here. <laughs> because we don't want to raise our grandkids in Washington mm-hmm. if, if things keep going the way they're going. Uh, but um, so out here, we, uh, you know, used to be in the hydro-seeding business. And uh, what got me involved in politics, I mean... I was blissfully ignorant. I didn't pay much attention to politics. I just wanted working, trying to sell my stuff, trying to build my brand and, and enlarge my company. And uh, we were we were like one of the largest tight. Well, we were the largest hydrocene contractor west of the Mississippi. So uh-huh. so we were doing landfills and and uh, you know coal mines and and all kinds of large projects. But we also did your fifteen hundred square foot residential lawn. And that, well, the lawn market was actually, it's a very small portion of our business. It was like 20%. Mm. Uh, but it was an important 20% because we did, primarily, we made our money in erosion control. But there's no erosion control in the middle of the summer. So, But there <laughs> is lawns yeah. in the middle of the summer. Sure. So it was important. It was an important section of our business. And... Uh, uh, in 19, on May 17th, 1992, you can see that date was burned in my memory because that's when they shut the water off and told people they couldn't water the lawn, right? Because uh, there was a water, uh, there was a drought. And I, and I, for one, believe everything the government tells me because I know they wouldn't lie to me. And the <laughs> fact that there was 39 inches as a normal rainfall and that particular year was 37 inches, hmm. it didn't seem to be a drought to me. And it turned out when they turned the water back on in September, they admitted that they accidentally bumped or dumped 4 billion gallons of water, causing a water shortage. So there was no drought. They just accidentally dumped 4 billion gallons of water to get ready for a snowmelt that never happened because there was no snowmelt, snow in the mountains. So they caused the problem, but they almost put me out of business. We were hanging on by our fingernails. Oh. I mean, if some general didn't go to Fort Lewis and bought five acres of lawn paint, which we were doing like they did in Hollywood, sure. we probably would have been out of business. Uh, so two years later, the King County Council passes an ordinance, the Landscape Water Conservation Ordinance. And many of you know Ken, Ken Pullen, uh, was a former King County Council member, and he became my political mentor. And uh, uh, so they passed this ordinance, and the purpose of this ordinance was to reduce the amount of lawns, I have to make sure I make that distinction, 
between lawns and grass because of the marijuana issue now. So we planted lawns, not grass, right? And so, but they wanted to limit the amount of grass on apartment complex or lawns on apartment complexes by 50%, right? Now, this got my attention because they're taking my tax dollars telling people not to buy my product. And that ticked me off, right? So Ken Palum was very instrumental in helping out. He goes, listen, this is going to pass. Everybody votes. He goes, they already got the votes. That's why they're bringing it up. He goes, sure. we'll put a study on it and allow us to come back a year later. So uh, 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 I made the point. I said, this doesn't save any water. It makes things worse and it costs a fortune. Mm -hmm. So a year later, the county does a, a, a study and they come back and said, well, it doesn't really save any water. It might actually increase the water usage. Uh, because if you're doing an apartment complex, the whole object is to have as few sprinkler heads as possible, right? Sure. Because of breakage, right? And you had to, the, under the ordinance, you had to water the lawn and the shrubs separate. But when you did a uh, when you did an apartment complex, you never watered the shrubs. You just threw the water from the lawn into the shrubs. So now you're actually using more water because you're watering <laughs> the shrubs and the lawn separate. And uh, and uh, if it's not grass, what else is it, right? Everything else is more expensive. So they came out with, this was only going to increase rents $75 a month. At the time, the rents were 600 bucks a month, Sure. right? I mean, this was like 1994 or something like okay. that. Okay. Uh, I mean, so rents were 600 bucks a month. And this ordinance to save water, which it didn't save any water, was going to increase rents 75 bucks, right? Now, so they do the study. Here's how naive I was. I thought that the facts actually made some difference in politics. I felt vindicated. Everything that I said was true. I, Cynthia Sullivan was the chair of the King County Council at the time. I'm very excited. I went to her, Madam Chair, you know, do you think we could get this ordinance repealed? And what she said to me made me decide to run for office. She said, you don't understand. This is a complex issue. We have to do something. And I remember looking at her saying, but it doesn't work. It makes things worse and it costs a fortune. What the hell kind of thing is that to do? If I had a choice between doing something and nothing, I would have done nothing. And that's when I said, I could do this job. <laughs> and that's what got me involved in politics. So you could say to, to, yeah, get, yeah. To, so, to get to this point, yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so you, you uh, bring up that you are on the uh, Senate Housing Committee. Um, and I was not able to be here in person, but I sat in uh, just listening for uh, a hearing last week um, where a uh, sociology professor from University of Washington uh, presented a study about how um, small mom and pop landlords are not, um, you know, being forced out of the, the housing market, so to speak, by um, many of the policies that Seattle in particular, but Washington State as a whole have passed recently. Um and you asked a, a few very poignant questions as well as some of the, your other colleagues in the housing committee. Um, would you care to speak to speak to that? Well, yeah, you know, one of the questions was, what's a small landlord? Right. Right? Mm -hmm. So they go, oh, a small landlord. A landlord has three or four units. I mean, I go, well, if you ask me what a small landlord is, right. I mean, I'm somewhere around 30 or 50 units. Mm -hmm. That's a small landlord. I go, so is there any data on 30 to 50 units? Well, no. Okay, well, don't you think that that's relevant? Yes. And uh, I said, so, 
You know, in, in the past, we heard testimony from somebody that had a 36-unit apartment building. Mm-hmm. It was in the family. That was a family, uh, their their basic, you know, income for this family. And uh, and then they passed all these rent rental, you know, eviction bills and all that stuff. And so one by one, people started selling off their properties, right? right. I can't deal with this. We're out of here. Yep. So they sold their 36-unit apartment complex, which they didn't have a mortgage on. They could have kept rents low, right? Yeah. So, but now you just bought that 36 unit apartment complex for $8 million. So now you got a huge mortgage, right? (laughs) Yeah. And your property taxes are now skyrocketing, right? right? Because it's now based on $8 million. And um, uh, where are you going to get that money? So people then complained that the rents went up. I go, well, you know, at the hearing, we had a hearing, and it was basically a mobile home park, but it's very similar mm-hmm. circumstance. A um, woman testifies that in the last four years, her rent went up. First year, it went up 50 bucks, then 100 bucks, then, then 200 bucks. And so I, I just did a property tax lookup, right? I looked mm-hmm. up this. I go, here's a mobile home park in my district. Mm-hmm. From 2009 to 2019, property taxes went up 10%. Basically 1% a year. Sure. Okay. Yep. All right. Mm-hmm. But from 2019 to 2023, they went up 48%. Where the hell's that money coming from? Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, uh, uh, you know, Senator Cooter and I have slightly different views on the way housing works. If you make it more difficult to evict people, the uh, you make it, you tighten up the rental market. So now... The only people that are going to be able to do this are getting to be larger and larger corporations right. that are buying up all these small little apartment buildings. So, um, so now, I used to have a relationship with my renter, right? Mm-hmm. I, I had a rental unit. And all I wanted was the guy not to destroy my stuff and pay the rent. That's all I wanted, right? Yep. Now, if that person was reliable in the past and maybe had a problem and you know got a little bit behind or maybe lost his job or his car broke down, whatever, and he sure. couldn't make the rent payment, uh, it is in my interest to keep him there because it's more expensive to evict him, lose that extra month, so you've got to you paint the place, you got to do this and that and mm-hmm. on and on, uh, to get somebody else in there that may or may not be as reliable. Right. So it's in my interest to keep somebody in that unit. That I know is going to take care of the place. When you're dealing with single family homes too, that's mm-hmm. if the unit's empty, that's it. If you, if you have you know yeah. like fourplex or a triplex or something like that, at yeah. least you have some income from the other units. But if it's a single family home, that's it. Yeah, um, right, right. Yeah. Now how are you going to make the mortgage payment right, and all that right. stuff? That's that's what made me laugh with the rental, the uh, the eviction ban, mm-hmm. right? I and I said, I go, I go, you live in twenty two A. And you're making a rent payments, but the guy in 22B isn't, right? So you're over there making a rent payments every month, but 22B is not doing anything, yeah. right? Now, 22B is over there going like, hey, you know, I'm just not going to pay it. They can't evict me anyway. So he's saving the rent. And then what's he do with that? When the eviction ban gets lifted, he goes and buys a house because he's got $20,000 that he didn't pay in rent, right? So now he's got a down payment. So I actually had a bill that said, if... If you went out and did a major purchase, like bought a car or a, or a house or something, mm-hmm. after you received rental assistance, because you're saying you couldn't pay the rent, yeah. the attorney general had to go after you and to recover that money, you know? Oh, and, of course, that didn't get a hearing. Uh. Uh, you know, we got the other ones. Uh, if you're getting evicted, you get a free attorney. But if you're the landlord, 
you got to pay for your attorney. Right. And so yeah, that's a big how, point of contention so in, in King County right how now. Come, actually, how yeah. come? Yeah. Why? I mean, if you're paying for the person that gets evicted, why aren't you paying for the landlord? Right. Right. Yeah. And uh, I mean, you're, I, I, you know, government causes these problems, and you know, and then then the solution becomes we need a government a government law to change this to to minimize it. You created the problem to begin with, you know. And uh, when they did this the eviction thing, I said. Taxpayers are going to get stiffed for this, right? To the yeah. tune of a couple of hundred million dollars. Sure. Yep. How much was it? It was $120 million for rent, rent, rents and $109 million, $101 million for utilities, right? And who paid for that? Taxpayers paid for that, you know? And, uh, you know, they turned, they, they turned uh, uh, you know, hotels, you know? Oh, right. you know, uh, we, we, we want to buy these hotels to make them... For homeless people, I go, they're, they're really good prices now. They're, they're really rock-bottom prices. I go, yeah, because your eviction ban, you drove them out of business, right? It was like Hotel California. You could check in. You never had to check out, right? And you're running prostitution and all this stuff and on and on. Yeah. So you bring your family to that hotel and you see the kind, kind of people that are coming in and out. And you go like, well, I'm not staying here, yeah. you know? And I mean, but they caused that situation. And uh, and you speak to the, the the family aspect there of moving a family into something like that, and uh, I mean I think that's a wider uh, conversation as well when we talk about available rental units. The um, uh, University of Washington study that uh, was presented in the, in the hearing, um, they didn't use Seattle's own data talking about the number of uh, since since Seattle started to implement a lot of these policies, they've lost well over five thousand single family homes, and if you talk about unit count. They'll talk about, oh, we our unit counts up. Well, sure it is if it's studio and one bedroom apartments. Right. South Lake Union is one of the you know hottest building areas in the entire country, but it's the apartments. It's not the single family homes, um, you know, where you want to have a backyard for your kids and have a dog and and all that. So right. yeah. Well, you know, when uh, I was on uh, uh, Impact, the show Impact, mm -hmm. uh, a couple of years ago with Senator Cooter. And Senator Cooter uh, and I, I mean, we have the, I thought we have a good relationship, yeah. even though it's slightly antagonistic, um, <laughs> but in a, in, a, in a nice way. Sure, right? yeah, yeah. And so Senator Cooter and I were on uh, 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 this show, Impact, and she was singing the praises of the Growth Management Act and, uh, you know, how it, it, you know, it really worked well and all this stuff and on and on. And it's been very successful. So I said, well, Senator Cooter and I have a, a slightly different view of the Growth Management Act. Uh, we, I agree that it has been successful because the purpose of the Growth Management Act is to jam as many people as possible into as small an area as possible and make everybody's life miserable so they'll take the bus, right? That's the purpose, <laughs> is to make light rail feasible, right? So now we have, we're going to have the most expensive mobile homeless camp on the planet, right? <laughs> uh, uh, but, but getting back to apartment units, you know, we want you to build these apartment units. We want you to build these apartment units, but only near transit, only near this, only near that. Mm -hmm. You know, we uh, if you want the um, the uh, 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 multi uh, multifamily tax credit, you know, right? Uh, then we want you to build these types of of, of units. So uh, rather than do number of units, uh, there's going to be a bill we're talking about based on square footage. Yes. So, yep. Uh, and I mean, it's, it's actually not necessarily a bad bill because the object of the bill is to have multiple different two bedroom, three bedroom, mm -hmm. instead of all, all the units being studios. But yeah. the problem comes in is what happens when 
your the people and you mentioned downtown Seattle and stuff yeah. like that. One bedroom in studios yeah. is what what the demand is. So you're telling me that I have to build three bedroom things, even though the demand is for one, and uh, and uh, and studios. Hmm. Um, so I you know I mean they have total lack of faith in the market, and uh, you know uh, it's like they they don't understand how the economy works. You know, and it's uh, it, you know, it's a little bit frustrating. Welcome to a review of week three and four from Legislative Session. We decided to combine these two weeks because last week was such an incredibly busy week that ended on a little bit of a cliffhanger with the Senate rent control bill. We wanted to make sure we knew exactly what would be happening before we updated everybody. I am happy to inform everyone that the Senate rent control bill has died in committee and we are just waiting to hear the future of the house rent control bill house bill 2114 for a hearing on the housing rent control bill we were also joined by former shoreline city councilwoman doris mcconnell uh, thank you Corey, for inviting me to come down here and um, make a plea to uh, say no to house bill 2114 i think the solution is way further back than what uh, legislators are trying to do, which is somebody had mentioned, we really need to mandate affordable housing. We heard testimony from Jason Roth and Jimmy Singh, two former guests on the Housing Matters podcast. They came down to Olympia to speak on Senate Bill 6210, which would give more money to Washington State to help expedite the process of hearing unlawful detainer cases. My name is Jason Roth. I'm a homeowner, a single family home in South Seattle. I entered a lease with a gentleman last year, excuse me, spring of this year, he's paid no rent. So while deriving income through my property on Airbnb with my only home, he's still in there today. I've been living in my van, I've been couch surfing, I've been showering at my gym, and I've been patiently awaiting access to my only home. I anxiously awaited for months for my first hearing on October 23rd. I received an automatic continuance because my tenant was assigned a free appointed attorney through Housing Justice Project, and it shocked me that my tenant and his attorney appointed were intentionally not prepared on the day of the hearing. Okay. What was even more shocking was that my continued hearing was for March 12th. That's after the date that the lease was supposed to end. Okay. I've been struggling more than you can imagine. I've been unable to sleep due to the physical discomfort of my living situation, the emotional trauma that this has brought on me, and riddled with many, many thousands of dollars of attorney's fees, and nothing to show for it at this point. I'm Jimmy Singh, and I'm resident of Bellevue, and I'm also chair for Human Services in the city of Bellevue. And being, being at a chair, we, we see every day the eviction, so many evictions are saved. I, I never been the part of the system when I have to deal with a tenant who is not leaving my house since July 2022. I have been, I have been, I have been shocked with how the system, how the housing justice project provided a free lawyer and I'm paying a lawyer, lawyer from my pocket. And my kids, I have to, I'm in a survival mode basically. I'm, my kids are asking question why we're not traveling, why we're not going on vacation. The reason is because I'm raising my tenant's family. I'm paying his uh, rent, uh, mortgage, and I'm paying his uh, taxes for the property, and his kids are going to the same school. He lives in my neighborhood, and I have to drive every day. And being, being this part of the country for the last 20 years, I'm 
shocked that people are exploiting so neatly and they're exploiting the system. After their testimony, I had the chance to speak with Jimmy and Jason about how they thought everything went. Um, hi, uh, good morning. This is Jimmy Singh. I, I came here all the way from Wellview, taking my day off from work to support that the suffering I am going through, nobody else should. There should be a judgment. It should support. Justice should be given. I am here to support SB 6210 so that they can hire more commissioners and this backlog in the eviction cases should be removed. Um, the testimony was good and um, um, I gave my testimony, I s explained my situation that it's not a one way, it's a suffering I'm going through and I'm in a survival mode, how everything, my personal life and the financial life is met, uh, affected by this. So I explained my situation, it has been July 2022 since I'm fighting with a tenant who is a con man and he has been doing he has done in the past to many many landlords and this landlord is not being called a landlord is not a pride anymore you can um, I just gave testimony on House Bill 6210 and it was clear that I got emotional because this has been a very emotional year for me it's been some of the hardest times of my life and it seemed like the people who were sitting on the housing committee didn't really want to hear what I was saying because when I started speaking, they started speaking over me and whispering to each other, which is extremely distracting in my testimony. But either way, um, I felt really good to be here and really good to give that testimony. And it's clear that all the judges giving testimony and the other landlords, that this is a huge issue and something needs to be done about it. There's overwhelming support for this. And if it doesn't pass, I'd be very confused as to why. It was an extremely busy week in Olympia. Stay tuned for more next week. If you have a topic that you believe should be covered in a future episode of Housing Matters, please feel free to email at me at my email, chjalseth at rhawa.org. Please feel free to email me if you have any uh, suggestions for topics or if you think you I, I should be diving deeper into something that is affecting our collective industry together. The views expressed in episodes of RHAWA's Housing Matters podcast do not necessarily represent the views and policies of the Rental Housing Association of Washington. Formal legal advice and review is recommended prior to selection and use of this information. RHAWA does not represent your selection or execution of this information as appropriate for your specific circumstance. The material contained and represented herein, although obtained from reliable sources, is not considered legal advice or to be used as a substitution for legal counsel. Copyright. 2024.